0: This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at midwestpodcastnetwork.com. You are now tuned in to Westworld FM, a podcast about HBO's Westworld. My name is Alex.
1: And my name is Nick.
0: Today we will be discussing the season two premiere of the show titled Journey Into Night. We will not be discussing the season preview at the end of the show, but we will be spoiling everything through season two, episode one of the series. So please pause and go catch up if you're not current with the show. You can find more episodes of our podcast at westworld.fm. We're also westworldfm on Twitter, and you can send feedback to westworldfm at gmail.com, and you can tell us what you think of our show and share your thoughts on HBO's Westworld. We might then read them on our show, so you can send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Westworld or our podcast. If you enjoy this show or any other show on the Midwest Podcast Network, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash midwestpodnet to pledge as little as a dollar a month to make our network even better. Special thanks to Jason K., who's pledged at the level of $10 a month. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, Jason. We're in the thick of it now. Westworld Season 2 has premiered. We're oh, man. back into the groove.
1: Back in the saddle, baby.
0: Yeah, the, the juices are, are, are uh, flowing. We got we got the cogs turning. The internet theorizing machine is on its way, and everything's going. We're operating at full speed already, so... Um, but yeah, it's funny. I've
1: I've been I've been way too busy in my personal life to even spend any time poking around online to see what's out there. So that that's kind of cool for once. Like going into our recording session and having literally not read a single other person's thought on any aspect of the show yet.
0: I was unable to comp- to keep myself from not looking at the at the subreddit at all. Okay. I did a good job of not looking at things marked spoiler and marked theory. Okay. So I'm hoping I'm fairly untainted. Um,
1: <laughs> so you made it exactly zero episodes without <laughs> looking at anything.
0: <laughs> this is entirely true. And I'm very <laughs> sad. That's okay. uh, all right. the, what it's all about? you got to play the game. Yeah. And the only thing I will say, uh, there are a couple things that I know. There's one thing that I know that is going to happen that the general public is unaware of. Just because of certain people being in a thing but we'll get to that when we when it happens i guess oh interesting and um i i have i did watch the thing at the end of the episode that has like the this season on westworld but okay i haven't like poured over it so i don't feel there's like I, i don't have any insider knowledge or anything like that so
1: i didn't watch that either
0: any any theories that come out of this episode i think are are pure theorizing so okay yeah uh but let's get into it the i did want to talk at the top they did change the season 2 intro um You know, they added things. It's an ox instead of a horse. There's like an egg. It's a bison. It's a bison. Excuse me. Uh, There's an egg fertilization type thing going on. There's a mother and a baby being constructed together. Uh, A hair strainer like that looks like piano strings and the ox breaks through a glass and there's a black cat falling into water and the host is in water rather than like the white substance at the end of the thing. So what did you what did you think about it?
1: I think the most <clears throat> pardon me the most striking part to me was the substitution of the bison for the for like the stallion, which is pretty interesting. I think that the season is definitely going to reflect a lot more of that like sort of giant brute strength, and I mean I'm sure there's more to the use of the bison that I just haven't really thought through yet i mean it's if there's something. As iconic to the American West as like a horse, it would be like a buffalo. Yeah. But they're also they're also kind of a rarity. They're something that's somewhat endangered. <clears throat> they're also, I think, kind of a symbol of freedom. Because you don't often see them like in zoos or anything like that. They're just either being farmed for like food and like uh clothing, or they're just out there. Yeah. Like to my knowledge, there I think there are still wild bison like out in the west somewhere. You don't often see wild horses yeah so i think that that the symbol there is is probably just representing the state of the hosts in this season well and also
0: maybe the idea (laughs) of like the bison because we did we nearly hunted them to extinction at least
1: right yeah exactly the
0: idea that the synthetic creation of a bison or what we regard as a synthetic when it's actually reality to the hosts i guess Mm-hmm. or real in their paradigm uh seems interesting like the idea that that this ford's creation is so great that it can undo the the errors of humanity right. essentially but no you know, yeah
1: it's, it's it's really interesting i mean right off the bat i didn't notice anything different prior to that and i probably just wasn't paying attention but then that and then the the hair in like the weaving loom almost yeah. it looked like like it was being like woven and created it uh that was pretty striking too like just it looked amazing and i think that there there was something about the first season's opening credits that kind of filled me with this sense of like mystery and like wonder and this one just kind of fills me with dread and i don't know why <laughs> I, I can't I can't put my finger on exactly what aspects of it there are that make me feel that way, but I know like I was more unsettled watching the intro to this one episode than I was in all previous ten. Those ones kind of make me feel like there's a mystery here, and I'm trying to deduce some sort of meaning out of everything, and this one I'm just kind of like, this feels like a warning message. It's awesome,
0: though. Yeah, no, I, 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 it's the thing is, I haven't really been able to like delve into my feelings on it. Like, I just, I, I guess, I got to sit there and watch it like thirty times before I'm like, I guess this is what I, what mm-hmm. I feel about these differences. I like the, um, they used to show images of the host's eye reflecting like the mesas and stuff like that, and in this opening, I think they've replaced a few of those shots with like that weird embryo like thing Mm -hmm. which I don't understand the biology of how that works with these hosts or what that actually is is that actually like the nucleus of their brains or is that an egg or what is it but uh, that to me is like the most intriguing part of it I mean the idea that also it's constructing the baby and the mother at the same time is also interesting to me right but uh no a lot of cool stuff i guess we'll see how how some of it actually comes to you know yeah immediately the season
1: the mother and the baby immediately made me think of Maeve, and i thought okay is what what's going to happen with her this season i think that i mean that's a, a very vague general question that probably literally every fan of the show has but that is one of the themes that I think is going to be really interesting because I have a feeling whenever she reaches her daughter, it's not going to be the reaction that she wants. Yeah.
0: Well, it almost kind of sets her up for the same reaction that young William had when Dolores didn't remember him, you know? Right. Yeah, totally. Unless the daughter has also been awakened and can remember her past too, so who knows, I guess. Yeah,
1: maybe so. Anyway. Yeah. we're, We're jumping ahead.
0: Well... Uh, hey, that's what we're here for.
1: <clears throat> yeah, let's go right to the fifteen minute timestamp and start there and work our way backwards, <laughs> scene by scene.
0: Well, uh we can we can break right into the episode recap. We did start off with a conversation, I believe, between Dolores and Arnold.
1: Uh You know, that's what's so <laughs> messed up about the show. <laughs> we still don't I don't know. know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who that is, and I don't know when it is. And so at this point, the funny thing is about this let, let's go on oh we'll come back around. yeah this.
0: all right so it's Dolores and Bernard or Dolor, Dolores and Arnold <laughs>
1: Bernard Arnold yes remember
0: Dolores and Arnold discussing the nature of reality essentially mm-hmm. and Arnold Arnold says uh she asks what is real he says that's that which is irreplaceable and then he notices that answer doesn't seem to satisfies you satisfy you and she says because it's not completely honest and it's like Arnold has Arnold mentions that he's kind of recognized this weird potential in Dolores. She's, he's frightened of what she could become. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and also not to mention Arnold recalls this memory of him waking up on an ocean or on a shore, which we'll get to in a second. But, um, Number one, I thought it was interesting that this show shot... They shot this sequence in... Or, or they're, they're showing the sequence in, like, ultra widescreen. It's more of a 235 to 1 than a 16.9. Mm. Um, Which I was like, oh, man. This show feels completely different to me already off of the bat. Like, which is interesting. Because I wouldn't <clears> normally <throat> think that adding that letterbox would make me feel that different about something but I think there was also something about like the, the 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 lenses they were using too things felt more crisp than they normally did in the show in my in my lead up of watching the whole first season it felt strikingly different even though it was a familiar type scene
1: interesting but it, you're saying that, that that look only maintained for this scene
0: th- this was the only scene that was in ultra wide yeah
1: that's an interesting observation.
0: Yeah. So I don't. It, yeah, I don't know what that means. Maybe that. Maybe they're trying to give people a little bit of an edge in pointing <coughs> out Arnold versus Bernard.
1: Maybe. Yeah, I feel like we'll have to wait for another episode featuring uh, maybe Arnold's scene to really make the determination.
0: Yeah. Uh, any thoughts about their about their conversation or anything else?
1: <clears throat> no, I really liked where it started. I mean, I think. The conversation between those two is always really enticing, mm-hmm. and I really didn't know what to expect from the very beginning of this episode. I was like, "Man, where is it going to start?" I expected it to start with like the chaos and the blood and the guts, but starting there with like a conversation and putting you back into that state of confusion right away—like, yeah. I feel like by the end of the first season, you feel like you have a you have a good grasp on kind of what's going on now. And then this one starts, and it's like, "Nope, no, I don't. <laughs> nope, yeah." Not yeah. really.
0: No, it, it's very, that's the cool thing about it is that it feels like a familiar, it's a familiar setting to us. It feels like a familiar conversation. Mm-hmm. Like if I hadn't watched the first season, I would have been like, did, are we seeing something that they've already, like, did they already right. show yeah. this? Yeah. So that feeling, it it's kind of like they're making you feel like the host, the idea of I'm in this dream and I don't know what's real and what's not and that kind of thing. So I like that quite a bit mm-hmm. uh so second scene we've got bernard awakening on the shore he gets found by a tactical SWAT team who's ready to kill him but stub stops them from killing him uh turns out that the captain ha- or like the, whoever's running the team has a card that says low bernard priority status high so i'm assuming it's like a volume of of board members and, and employees that need to be extracted or something right like
1: yeah that. they're they're searching rescuing
0: yeah uh what did you think so I guess uh, I skipped over something. We see Bernard start, or Arnold, or Bernard start getting. He's going through what I I I assume is time slippage, and we see kind of a bunch of scenes interspersed. Things like him and Dolores together, seemingly in like the outside world. Uh, Mm -hmm. We see um, Abernathy, like uh, uh, what was his name? Louis, Louis, Louis Hurtham Abernathy is, yeah. uh, is there somewhere too. And we see Bernard in the control room, shooting people and freaking out. Yep. And then we come to him waking up on the shore. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, what what did you think about him waking up? Were you, were you excited to see Stubbs seemingly oh. unharmed?
1: Absolutely. Yes. Who wouldn't be? <laughs> uh, Stubbs Stubbs is the real MVP, even though he just gets just slapped around by the <laughs> the new the new guy in charge. Yep. Um. Yeah i I don't know. I right off the bat, I was like, okay, I don't know when to make of this. I assumed right away that it was taking place like hours later. Yeah. After the big shootout, and he like somehow staggered his way to the beach and like was unharmed, but I think it becomes. Evident to me that this is weeks later.
0: Well, all right. So let's uh, let's break through a little bit more here. Bernard or Bernard gets taken over to Carl Strand, who introduces himself as the head of operations at the extraction base camp. We're seeing hosts being rounded up and executed, including our old pal Rebus, played by Steven Ogg. Uh, we see Chinese officers interfacing with Carl Strand, saying, uh, and Carl Strand says. Uh, their country's agreement with Delos gives them full jurisdiction over the island. And uh, Carl says hi to Bernard mentions that his position as head of behavior makes him understandably conflicted about when it, what needs to be done. And communications have been down for two weeks. Um, so yeah, here's another Delos person to meet and keep track of. So that's great. Why not add more characters to this show? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't confusing at all in the first place. No, it's really not that bad um
1: he at least looks different from everybody else yeah that's true (laughs) he's very distinct looking i was like okay he's super tall he's got a shaved head and a goatee yep i got i got this one
0: yeah um and the fact that there's these these officers are speaking chinese to to carl uh it's seemingly we're probably somewhere (laughs) off the coast of china we're somewhere in asia right so Seems that way. That's the closest clue we've gotten to knowing where Westworld could be. Yep. <laughs> unless it's somewhere in the Mars section, or the, the, the China yes, section the of Mars. Yeah. Um, And then just on to scene four, because then we can get into what I wanted to bring up with what you said about timing. Uh, We see the brain extraction of a native that leads to the team discovering that Dolores was murdering everyone. Um. What gets mentioned is that the footage that is taken of Dolores murdering everyone is eleven <laughs> days and nine hours ago. Mm-hmm. so it seems like there's about eleven days, maybe two weeks is the is the the timeline of when Bernard wakes up on the shore and the post ford shooting barn hiding scene that comes after this,
1: yep. Uh, so we have a we have a rough we have a rough timeline of wh- when the stories are taking place, which is it's kind of a relief to have at least <laughs> some sort of temporal anchor to like hold on to and be like, okay, I know sort of when this is. Because in season one, it was obviously just like your guess is as good as mine. I mean, at, at, for for a long time, we didn't in fact know that there were two diverging timelines. Yeah, um which was which was really well done. But anyway, or not not two diverging timelines, but two different timelines. Anyway. Yeah, I, I was kind of relieved, and I I wasn't sure that I believed it at first. I was like, "Could this be? Are they giving me? Are they giving me like a life preserver to hold on to and, and keep track of where things are?" But uh, I think it's kind of welcome.
0: They might rip it away from us at some point, which I that's guess that's very be true. The, the interesting yeah. thing to see.
1: Bernard is the good old uh, unreliable narrator at this point. So yes, he know. is. Yes, he is.
0: <clears throat> uh, what did you think of the brains, like the the brain organ that they that they I'm- pull out? I thought it was awesome. Yeah, that it's whole great. Sequence. It looks like an LED light bulb to me, but it's so good. <laughs> it does. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah. Um, I like that they have a special guy whose job is to do that. Yeah, yeah. He just shows up and he like tells them all, "This is gonna get gross, or this is gonna get nasty," and then they just nobody says anything. Like, there's not even <laughs> a there's not even an acknowledgement of that very obvious line. It was just kind of funny. I was like, this guy's a dork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, interesting
0: thing for video game fans, that guy's name is Farrah, the actor's name is Ferris Ferris. He just put out that game called A Way Out. Like, oh really? That's that's his game that he directed. He also did a game called Brother uh, 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 uh it's called like Brothers a Tale of Two Brothers I don't know, something like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, he's like a he's a video game uh developer. He's a he's a game maker, so that's pretty sweet for
1: that is cool.
0: Video game fans watching Westworld out there. Um, but yeah, I liked I liked his his performance. One other thing I wanted to say: Dolores says to the native that she shoots. She says, "I told you, friend, not all of us deserve to make it to the valley beyond." Mm-hmm. So that kind of sounds like some rhetorical talk that'll come up again. It does come up again and yeah, like it, a scene.
1: It, in fact, is yes in um, this very episode.
0: We also become aware that Strand is completely unaware of what happened at the finale party. Mm-hmm. Essentially, so that's interesting. Um, Bernard focuses on his hand not shaking. Did you get that? Did you think his hand was still shaking in the most future timeline, <laughs> the present timeline?
1: Um, you know what? I didn't. I haven't had a chance to rewatch it, so I don't know. Actually, I didn't. I, I didn't thought. Really-
0: I thought his hand wasn't shaking, and when he goes back in time, it was shaking again. But I could yeah, not I've heard people saying or talking about, like I talked to somebody at work today, and he thought that the hand was still shaking, so I'm not sure. I didn't notice but.
1: it shaking. If it was, it was really subtle.
0: Yeah. Uh, but with his hand shaking, he gets kind of sent backwards in time, moving us on to the fifth scene, which is Bernard, Charlotte, and other board members attempt to escape from the barn immediately after the events of the season one finale um yeah so this is with rebus outside shooting at humans which is terrifying and great at the same time yeah (laughs) um him and slim i think are some of the most darkly comedic (laughs) characters of the whole series even
1: well they're they're two of the ones that feel the most real they don't feel scripted at all even though they're just like walking talking wind up cliche machines they feel authentic like in that in the moment he has some line where he's like all right boys i guess we got to find a bigger target or something like that he turns like all they all laugh i forgot that they were hosts i was like they seem like real people because it was like so the the despicable behavior is easier to swallow than like when they're nice Mm -hmm. like when like Dolores in in season one is like talking to people and Teddy and uh, Clementine and Maeve. They, they all register as hosts because they're like being nice and it it feels more robotic when they're just come up to you and and give you pleasantries. But Steven Ogg drinking like milk and (laughs) shooting this lady. He, I like, Legit was like, oh yeah, all right, so he's real. <laughs> it just is the strangest thing. They feel that...
0: they they feel the most plucked out of like Red Dead Redemption to me. Like they yeah, totally seriously. feel. Which I mean, you know, Stephen Ogg being in other Rockstar properties, notwithstanding. But it, it sure yeah. Um, so the <clears throat> the the board members decide to jump the farmhand that walks into the barn, much to Bernard's uh, distress. Yeah. Bernard tries to stop him, and he gets knocked aside. And we see the, um, we see the clear brain fluid coming through his his ear,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which you can only take as not good, good a good sign. But the farmhand, before he gets jumped, says, "Evening, you folks, aiming to saddle up." Uh, sorry, I can perform that better. Evening, you folks, aiming to saddle up, ride for the green pastures of the valley beyond. So yeah, it, it sounds it sounds like it could even be part of what like Ford's final narrative. Ford's update. latest DLC. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So interesting uh verbiage it's that we we'll to pay attention to.
1: I like that this episode right off the bat starts planting the seed that Ford, although he is gone, still has a large part to play in the events that are gonna unfold, which is so beautiful.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um yeah anything else about that little bit there
1: so at this point and this is shame on me for not rewatching season one more recently but bernard at this point knows he's a host right yes he's okay
0: he's fully aware this is after maeve found him down in cold storage yes shot in the head by himself after ford commanded him to but this is and that was right that happens in like episode nine um, where Arnold holds Ford hostage and then asks Ford to see all of his history, essentially.
1: Right. Okay. Just making sure.
0: Yep. So he he should he's aware at that point that he is.
1: Okay. <clears throat> uh,
0: any other clarifying questions that may? No, have No, that was it. Well, because well. I
1: knew I knew when he was looking at like the fluid and stuff. And then obviously like, we fast forward and he's like diagnosing himself, but I couldn't I couldn't recall right away what his status was.
0: Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, all right, the next scene, Dolores murders people to the tune of the entertainer and hangs a few guests um The player piano coming back playing the mm-hmm. entertainer, which was fantastic, and as it pulls out, you see all the bodies laying around it. um Dolores is terrifying
1: <laughs> dude, those shots of her riding through. Like the field and stuff, and just as she's just hunting people down, I was like, this is so majestic <laughs> and beautiful and thrilling and so scary. Like Evan Ra- <laughs> Evan Rachel Wood just projects so much control. Mm-hmm. And it's it's fantastic to, to watch. Cause in season one, when you first meet her, she seems so beautiful and so delicate and so like sweet and innocent. And now you watch her just like horseback, just blowing people away, and you're like, Oh my god, like <laughs> She owns it. She just is so believable.
0: Absolutely. No, it's a, it's a completely different... Like, if you were to play those two scenes side by side in some weird experiment and yeah. ask people, and they'd probably be like, I'm not certain that's the same show. But, yeah. No, It's it was... The juxtaposition of the light-hearted entertainer music with people being completely blown to pieces was, was fantastic. I was laughing really hard. Even though I probably should have been more scared, but no, it was yeah, it was great. Um so her kind of discussion with the people that she's hanging, presumably more board members or just people that were attending the party that night. Uh she says something to them along the lines of like she uses the language that the park operators used on her In terms of like, have you ever questioned your reality and things like that? So kind of seeing that Nolan dialogue twist as they like to do. Yeah. Having her using it back on them was good.
1: Dolores is like full cult leader status at this point. Like she reminds me of somebody who would rally a ton of people to their cause. Like she's very like revolutionary at this point. Absolutely. Both both in like her her attitude and her swagger and her vernacular, but also the way she's dressed with like the bandoliers across her with all the bullets and stuff. She seems like some old Wild West revolutionary.
0: Yeah. The she's just got this like weird magnetic charisma about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's also terrifying. Much like I assume a cult leader would be.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you like don't want to listen to them and you want to look away, but at the same time you're like really intrigued and she's... you can't help but like keep listening. <laughs>
0: She's like if uh, Jason Sudeikis in that episode of Portlandia had like a (laughs) bandolier on. (laughs)
1: Aliki? Yes. Of Aliki Farms? (laughs) Beautiful. Oh, God, I love that episode. It's so funny. It's such a great series premiere. Yeah. Um, Good pull.
0: So she leaves them to stand. They're hung in nooses standing on their own graves, presumably, or someone's graves.
1: Basically, yeah.
0: That... uh, pretty scary yeah really scary and just the fact that she wants to she exists only to torture the guests i think or or the the board members at this point she's like cleaning up the scourge before making the next plan or something like that it's
1: yeah she's just out to just clean clean up as many as she can yep and i really enjoyed teddy just kind of watching and you can tell he's not into it but he's not gonna disrupt it yep and i don't know why if it's if it's just out of respect for her, or if he kind of agrees but he doesn't want to take an active hand, you know what I mean? So, or well,
0: so I I was kind of I guess the thing is we know he's bucked his programming because he remembered her at the end of the last season to go and find her when when the man in black slash William was beating her up, and um. But it still feels like he's not fully shedded the programming of, like, I'm meant to love you, Dolores. It's like the exactly. love is hard-coded yep. into him, but he's not able to break away from it and say, what you're doing is truly messed up.
1: Yeah, he's not... He can't shake either his love for her and also, I think, his general, like, teddiness. He just can't not be Superman. Yeah. Like, he just... It seems like he's always going to be a good guy. hmm And he doesn't want to just wantonly murder people yeah but yeah they they seem to have they seem to finally have a conversation towards the end and that that is the story thread that i'm most interested in at the as of the end of this episode is where she's taking him and what she's taking him to see yeah yeah it's pretty you know not to fast forward too much but that i found that mystery because i feel like teddy is such an interesting character in that he like you said he has bucked his programming but he still doesn't seem quite aware yet yeah. It's like he he can either able to think for himself but he doesn't really care to. He's just comfortable continuing on with who he has been. Which is interesting because I think a lot of us are that way. Like even when we're presented with information of like, hey, this is what's been done to you or this is what's bad for you that you're doing or hey, this relationship you're in is toxic or whatever. So many people still just soldier on. They just put their head down and say yeah whatever but it's my life and i'm used to it and they just continue to muscle through it whatever it is even if like you know this this job is killing you and is horrible or you know your lifestyle anything really and i think teddy i like him because he's i mean he's james marzen of course so you know (laughs) big points there but he feels simultaneously like the most host of all of them and at the same time kind of human in that he's not immediately willing to just like go berserk and start murdering everything he's a little more like He's reasoning it out. I think.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because you spend most of this series interacting with humans who are there to do horrible and disgusting things, mm-hmm. and so the idea that like the most humanity you find in one of them is actually in one of the hosts, I think that's pretty that's pretty interesting. All right, so the next scene on the list, we get our reintroduction to current day William, as I'll call mm-hmm. him, I suppose. Uh, we see, we open up on some wolf, on a wolf trotting down the lifeless streets of Escalante, as we have seen previously in season one in, in, uh, Dolores and Teddy's flashbacks. But we pull up to a few corpses that start being thrown off of someone laying on the ground and it turns out that it's <laughs> our dear friend, William. <laughs> He uh, heads back to his cabin Says hello to his horse Ned Where he begins to be accosted by A board member who then gets shot Immediately by some hosts William Of course fends off the hosts And then proceeds to go into his cabin And do exactly what We said he would and dump some Liquor onto his bullet wound And then (laughs) banded it up I was so happy
1: (laughs) That was beautiful
0: The uh him opening up his chest and then pulling the hat out and putting it on and you know
1: go ahead here's the
0: thing is that it shouldn't have as much weight as it does right because he literally just took it off like 12 hours ago right but it's so rad
1: well (laughs) it's uh, there's so much in, in the legacy of this show to uh at the end of the day, like the pedigree and the accolades for the show are, are so numerous, but I think one of the coolest things about it is that it takes like a clear, like nut job, like William and turns him into this just awesome, like mythical figure. Like when he, he just said, when he puts that hat on and he, well, first of all, not even that he opens up his little secret loot cache that he's got like hidden in the world. Like, I feel like that cabin is something that's, like, off the grid that, like, no one really knows about. And he, he just, like, stashed it in the event of emergency. And that's why he makes his way there because he's like, I know right where I'm at and I know right I'm right where I want to be right now. And, like, he says to Ned, like, we're going to have some fun. And he gets there and he opens it up and he just – it's like Superman getting his cape or, like, <laughs> Captain America getting his shield. It's just awesome. And yeah. I, I had the same reaction. I was like, this shouldn't be as cool as it is. But furthermore, you know, it made me continue to just really – Revel in the fact that Nolan and and Joy like took the idea of the man in black from the original film and just turned it on its head. Yeah, and he still was like a villain, but he's a human instead. And that shot, he has like I I almost paused it because I was so transfixed by the way it's lit. I mean, they have like this soft light illuminating just his face from like the brim of the hat down, and yet you see the little ping of light in each of his eyes. And he just sits there and just kind of grins a little bit and looks like the Yule Brenner Men in Black from the film. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is so remarkable.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's incredible. And my favorite thing is that they linger on that shot. Oh, they do? I, they, they must have heard the Internet when everyone was just fawning over the childish smile that came out of Ed Harris in that final scene of his in the finale. Yeah, because his excitement. you're just waiting for him to crack that smile when he puts the hat back on, and he, and he doesn't does. quite. He, get he starts. The, you get that little smirk, but that's it, and it's just that's
1: okay. Ed Harris. I mean, what a remarkable actor. Yes. I feel like he's always overlooked, and he can do so much. And he can. He can. He has such a wholesome, like everyman face when he wants to. He can be so charming and so disarming, and that he can play such a villain. And it's yeah. uh, it's just it's so special. He's such a tremendous actor.
0: Yeah, I, he's not. I, he's. I feel like the people that know the name Ed Harris respect him greatly, but everyone else who would certainly recognize his face if you put it in front of them mm-hmm. are just like, oh yeah, I know
1: that guy from a thing. Yeah, he's, in, he's in a lot of stuff. Yeah, I no. like I like him in the in the Rock. <laughs> yep. Yep. Now, or History of Violence, or any of the other just so many so numerous how many things he's been in even my my brother was just gushing to me about Pollock yeah and how it was like Ed Harris's passion project and then he wanted to make it for like decades or something and he actually learned how to paint in Jackson Pollock's style so he could actually do it and my brother was just losing his mind talking about it it was so funny because I'm like Ed Harris is one of those special actors where he can get that out of somebody like he can get that level of fanboy which is like usually reserved for like guys who play batman and stuff like that it's <laughs> yeah. really funny yeah for sure. Like me with ben Mendelssohn. i'll just mm-hmm. gush about him till the end of the day
0: no i I always loved uh ed harrison apollo 13
1: of course oh yeah no everything he's yeah. never been bad no for sure i'm sure he's been in bad movies but he's never bad he's one of those people he's always going to show up yep absolutely <laughs> anyway he's he does seem like he's having the time of his life with this role too even like the shot of him when he's getting shot at and he runs and like does like a little roll and and the little scut little like little scoot behind the well, I was like, "That's actually Ed Harris," and he's yeah. like an old man now. Yeah, it's not like, and I was like, "Look at him though; he looks like he looks lean and taut, and he's ready to go." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The,
0: the one thing I will say, I was disappointed that he seems to have cured his his broken arm or dislocated arm or whatever he had at the end of the last season.
1: Oh yeah, he's fine. Yeah,
0: no, they, they, he just it's...
1: tapped into that, uh, <laughs> you know, that super strength. He's maybe, got that super healing.
0: Maybe it's the adrenaline that's uh, kicking in or something. When all the hosts start shooting people, he's just like, oh. yeah.
1: I think maybe that, in a combination of like, he clearly has spent his life not only running a, a huge empire and just getting rich, but conditioning himself to be a badass. Like he's legit. Yeah. This is he's not a weekend warrior. Like he he could legit mess you up in the real world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's, he's ready to just be a survivalist. And I'm sure at this point, like things like that, he can kind of compartmentalize the pain,
0: slough it off for Mm -hmm. what he needs to do. Exactly. So the next scene we've get Lee Sizemore almost getting eaten by his busy work version of Wyatt, the cannibal that he made until Maeve comes in and (laughs) saves him. Uh, I paused the show at this point after, Uh, Maeve saves him and then walks away and I I said to Nicole I was like in no world did I walk out of season one thinking that Maeve was just going to be the one that can just walk away and let a human live like I thought she was going to be ready to murder everyone and instead that's Dolores now but Maeve is the one who's kind of like you have you are not a threat to me you have you. You're not in my way. I don't care about you, so I'm just going to leave you there.
1: Yeah, Maeve is almost more like the big bad in a way. Dolores is kind of this loose cannon who's just angry. She doesn't really have anything to strive for other than just killing hosts. And I think, or I'm sorry, not hosts, um, guests,
0: guests, yeah. yeah.
1: And. But Maeve is also, um, she's achieved like a higher level of like everything. So she's also, I think she can look at the bigger picture. She's like running around and and killing, just wantonly killing uh, the humans isn't going to really help her achieve what she wants, which is to reunite with her daughter, to find something with some meaning. And I think Dolores isn't quite operating on that level yet.
0: Yeah. Well, but I mean, to me, it almost kind of like, I wonder what, because Maeve's choice to go after her daughter bucked her programming of infiltrating the mainland as her programming said last season, it's, I wonder what the next step really is for her. Like, I feel like she's poised to be in the position of being the one sympathetic to humans. If, I think so. if any of them are. Yeah. Because she will realize that, like, there are people who created them and may feel as though they are their children. But more importantly, I think she will realize that these people, these humans, these guests also have children.
1: Yeah. So... Yeah, I I think she may also realize that humans are capable of good. Like, there is goodness in them. And I think... I still kind of think part of that comes to the fact that, like, all of her stats have been dialed up to 10. Like, you just, she's almost capable of reaching, like, a level of, like, zen. Yeah. That, like, only an enlightened sort of lifestyle can bring you. Like, the ability to kind of really view things from a perspective of, like, balance. Mm-hmm. And 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 sort out, you know, what is the right and the wrong. And I think Dolores right now is just really angry.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: She also had a really personal relationship with Arnold, too. Yeah. And was kind of made into this murder machine. Like, she killed both of her creators, essentially. hmm So she's also dealing with a different level of trauma there. Yeah, that's and I true. think just continuing the cycle of violence is all she really knows. I do think Teddy stands a pretty good chance also of being pretty sympathetic yeah. to humans. Or at least recognizing that maybe things aren't as black and white as Dolores seems to think they are. hmm but um I don't know, I'm really intrigued to see how the power dynamic is gonna shift between some of the uh the hosts because I think we may eventually, like maybe in season three or you know, seeing how things shake down, see a kind of a a divide between Dolores and Maeve's like ways of thinking and who will actually be the, the true leader of the hosts. Yeah.
0: No, I, I and I think I mentioned in our last season of episodes that I felt like they were being set up to be diametrically opposed. And I yeah. think that's true. But I think my expectation has flipped. Like yeah. I wanted Dolores to be the one that was sympathetic and, and to humans. And, and uh, Maeve to be the one that was ho to kill everyone. Yeah, And that expectation has completely changed, which is awesome. <laughs> it,
1: it could still get there, though. Because Maeve, right now, she has things to hold on to. She has this idea of her daughter. Yeah. She has this uh, this hope for that, and she has Hector also, who they seem to have a genuine connection. For both being people that are essentially programmed, yeah, they do really seem to have something. And the final scene that we're left with Dolores and Teddy, I feel like Dolores is kind of manipulating Teddy. Like Mm -hmm. I don't think she really using
0: that charismatic cult leader.
1: Yes, but she also like she does recognize that throughout all of her like lives and experiences, Teddy has always. Been consistent. He has always been Superman. Is yeah. what I'm just going to keep calling him because James Marsden probably should have played Superman at some point. But <laughs> um, he's in Superman. <laughs> he's in the uh, the Brandon Roth one. But anyway. Um,
0: but when he gives does, up, that she does. I was going to say when he give, when he finally fully sheds the programming as programming as we spoke about earlier. Will he still be that constant? Will he not be? Right. I don't. There?
1: I don't know. I think he will want to be because it's it's kind of what he knows. But. Anyway, I I didn't really buy any of that when Dolores is telling him all that stuff. I was like, yeah, but he's like, he can't help it. Like, that's just who he is. And he just is, you know, into her. Yeah, So for sure. Anyway, Maeve Maeve just continues to be one of the most fascinating characters. And and Tandy Newton is just so good. Yeah, yeah. She is so amazing.
0: I think by the end of last season, we were getting tired of the circumstance and happenstance and the, the choices of Felix and Sylvester. Mm-hmm. in her storyline but now that that has been shed i think she's opened up for like very interesting storytelling so
1: yeah now that she's really in the driver's seat and you know in control of where she's going and not at the whims of those two yeah which wh- whatever ended up happening to them i don't remember do we know
0: felix i don't think we know he kind of drops her off at the train station and she gets on the yeah, train. that's what i meant. so he could still be alive somewhere sylvester i cannot remember if he died or not so i will i will look into that briefly okay Um, anyway yeah so the then we get on to sizemore and Maeve find the bloodied and unpowered control room everyone in the control room is dead sizemore comments that nobody's in control
1: yeah on the note of that talking about her sparing sizemore i think she kind of also recognizes that he is basically just a walking trope (laughs) he's that he's that little weaselly shit that will bounce from camp to camp no matter what in order to to keep himself alive and preserve himself and i think mave just immediately detects that like okay this guy is just gonna do whatever as long as i have power over him and so it's better to at least have a lackey
0: yeah yeah no that's that's true that's fair um, which is
1: so funny because he's like the writer. He should recognize like what he is, what he's doing. It's really funny. He's just the low-key of this story.
0: <laughs> yeah, he. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess the question here, as we're breaking into all this, is how do you feel about Sizemore now? Like, how, did, I feel like he has some worth in this position, <laughs> which is exciting to me because I felt he's, like I
1: mean he's contributing to the narrative now finally, yes. yeah. and he's giving us a human window into some. Heavy host stuff. So,
0: yeah. I don't Um, know. We'll see. Yeah. So, the, uh, they make it into the control room. They find everyone is dead. Uh, and there's a bear in there. (laughs) There's a bear that was murdering, murdering humans inside the control
1: room. I'm like, how
0: did that bear get in there? (laughs) That's
1: beautiful. (laughs) So good. They pushed, someone pushed him in. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I know, it looks like it went down swinging. It's like laying there all hilarious looking. Just like with all four of its legs like spread out like it's a rug Yeah, it's a rug.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Even the host bears become rugs. Yes, Um, you can't help it. So Sizemore apologizes for not being able to help Maeve with the big map that was in the control room. But he still takes a look at the paper that she has and lets her know that her daughter is still in the homesteader family friendly zone that, uh, that Maeve once was a member of. Um, Sizemore recognizes that Maeve has an actual She seems to be having an emotional connection to her daughter And uh, he tries to tell her that her daughter's just a story I'm actually going to play a clip
1: of that And I say this because you seem really distraught And well, awake Your, your, your daughter, she's, she's just a story Something we programmed not real not real but what about me my dreams my thoughts Size personality, would that be real? And fuck your directions. You're going to take me to my daughter.
0: What did you think about the commentary? We're getting back to that touchstone of what is reality and what's not reality with this, because, um, you know, Sizemore tells her that her... Her daughter's not real. It was a narrative. And then she's just kind of like, what is real about me if that's not real?
1: No, it's, it's, that's the perfect line because as Sizemore says that, I feel like as a human viewer of the show, you are somewhat inclined to agree. Yeah. Depending on, on, I guess, on where you personally fall on the, you know, the side of, you know, how these, how these hosts should be integrated into the real world, if at all. But, I think your knee-jerk reaction is to is to at least acknowledge that it was manufactured, yeah, to a degree. But does it does that mean that it's not real? That it loses meaning? But her reply is so simple and effective to be like, "Is it not real if I kill you right here?" Basically, <laughs> which is like so true. Like just because you initially designed it for one purpose or or to suit one need, can it not then also fit another mold? Yeah. And I think that you know, there's a, there's a lot of great fiction that explores this, and I think even Blade Runner 2049, you know, late last year, for sure, um, really helps dive into this this question as well. Which is actually another another piece of fiction I thought about during the opening credits, with the mother and the baby, yeah, together. I thought like, are we going to get into this repli- uh, this? Uh, I see, I called them replicants. <laughs> um, the idea that hosts might be able to breed with each other, like who knows? Yeah. Probably not, but. Um, that that was a bit that was a bit much to accept, even in that movie. But who knows? Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, I think that it, it just is fantastic writing. She didn't need some eloquent speech or anything to talk about how it feels real to her. So therefore, it must be real. Like, no, I'm real because I can I can influence the world.
0: Yeah, she has agency, and therefore is real. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, anything else about them, real quick? We'll come back to them collecting Hector in a minute here. But
1: is this the scene where where she says the "Have you ever questioned your reality?" line? Does does she say that as well, Maeve, or something along those lines, or like, do you know how it feels to question your reality? I don't. Think I thought she... I thought there was also a moment where Maeve said, "You know how how do you think it feels to question your reality?" But I don't... maybe that was back in dolores's scene
0: it, it certainly is in dolores's scene i don't think Maeve said it but i could be wrong okay so well
1: either way i think that that was also a good way to poise that question of just like you know not not just to have have you ever questioned your reality but how do you think it feels to question your reality i think that's like a great way to think of it like how how terrifying would that be to actually wonder like is what i'm experiencing real are these feelings my own am i am the way I am because of myself or because somebody else am I just acting out somebody else's instruction well that
0: was one of the most terrifying scenes of the first season to me is when she draws out the picture of like the body shop workers and then she finds out that she's drawn it many times before and hidden it in the same space like that was
1: terrifying so good yeah
0: I think that yeah for sure that absolutely fits in with uh with the idea of questioning, actually legitimately questioning
1: your own reality. Yeah. And how, how that would just make you unravel. Yeah. Or could. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, so, next scene, Bernard leads the group of survivors to an outpost, but it ends up being a trap. They find a tra- uh, like a car on the road, and it turns out that the uh, host named Angela, who was number one, William's first intake host in the past... And then a fake Wyatt prisoner towards the end of season one uh, brings up a couple of hosts and they start executing the guests that are actually board members, you know, the ones that are with Charlotte and and Bernard. Um, awesome to see the hosts setting traps like that. I know.
1: <laughs> it was so obvious, too. It was so yeah. funny. Like, as soon as they get that dude standing there, I was like, okay, it's not real. <laughs> like yeah be yeah. a little more careful but it i love how all these board members are just painted as like the just the dumbest the, yeah entitled people <laughs> that could exist like the one who comes barreling across the front porch at william i yep. was like this guy's going down <laughs> and they're just painted as just the most obnoxious people the kind of people you see in public that just like throw fits over just the dumbest shit and you're like yeah Oh man, yeah. Is that is what does it have to be like to live your life as that person? <laughs> like, can you even imagine?
0: They're so rich that they are just like completely. They're reduced to their most basic, unsophisticated <laughs> systems. Yeah, when they're in it's a, hilarious.
1: A, a threat. You just can't be can't be bothered to think about the situation just because you're used to somebody else handling it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that was it. Was kind of funny, and it's also funny how Bernard is just sort of like. In in like this weird state of like shock the whole time he just it's like really kind of detached. Yeah, and I think part of it is also that he's he's in some sort of critical state. Yep. But it's funny how Charlotte doesn't seem to pick up on it. She's supposed to be like very very intelligent. She and sees, perceptive in she, season one. She
0: questions it a little bit. She sees his hand shaking, and I think she she just dismisses it as nerves because she's what is she going to think? Oh, his hands shaking. He's a host, not really. Right. But yeah. you know that's true. Um, turns out Bernard thought that was the only outpost for miles, but it turns out that Hale knows of another one close by. They speed off. We cut back to sizemore and Mave getting held up by a SWAT team that gets quickly dispatched by other hosts. They then retrieve Hector from the rooftop bar um yeah. I really enjoyed the exchange between Maeve and Sizemore once again. I feel like she got all the like fantastic writing. I mean, there's fantastic writing all over the episode. But um, yeah. when she asks about Sizemore selling her out to the, to the SWAT team, she says, if you try something like that again, I will relieve you of your most precious organ and feed it to you, though it won't make much of a meal. And then he just kind of says, I wrote that line for you. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed so hard at that. It was fantastic. And then she says it's a uh, a bit broad if you ask me. <laughs> Criticizing her own uh her own yeah, script.
1: His writing. Yep. Yeah, it's a uh, I think they're going to have a lot of fun interplay for yeah. the next few episodes. Absolutely. Cuz they're they're probably the two sharpest tongues on the show. Yeah. And uh although like one it generally speaks with like actual substance and size is just a little shit but <laughs> it'll just be it'll, just, it'll yeah it'll be fun to watch them go back and forth yeah uh
0: yeah they find Hector up on the rooftop and uh she Chilly. asks yeah she asks Hector to join them to find her daughter uh and as you said i think their actual interaction was pretty pretty moving But I also thought it was great that Hector was able to call her and just be like, you're not here for me. Like, you didn't come back just to find me. Yeah. They seem to have an actual understanding of each other.
1: Yeah, I think it it all feels pretty genuine, which is funny because, like you said earlier, that's not the development that I would have expected from those two characters. I think they're both sort of scoundrelly and they would have thought they both would be out for themselves. And while they are, uh, they still care about each other. But they've, mean, they've been they've been through some shit together yeah I was too, gonna like, say they,
0: it it makes it must make for a pretty deep connection when you burn yourselves alive while having sex and get rebuilt and then come back
1: and <laughs> murder <it's> everyone. <laughs> yeah well uh, when you put it that way <laughs> yeah
0: uh any other thoughts about them on the rooftop
1: I think it's pretty weird that the I mean not weird it's probably the worst word I could have used it's um just really interesting how the command center is like totally overrun and there, there's nothing there it's for anybody out. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's bad news. There's for, like
0: random SWAT teams that are somehow surviving until they get mowed down. <laughs> but.
1: What's weird is that the SWAT teams are doing better, to be honest with you. I'm like, they're, they should have far more sophisticated weaponry and everything. Like I, I would imagine there's only so many hosts that are actually have the programming and and ability to be like good marksmen and that kind of thing you'd think that they'd be faring a little bit better well that's the only thing that's a little bit hard for me to accept it's like in a lot of disaster movies and like or like zombie films and you're like really the military was overrun in 24 hours it seems pretty unlikely the
0: one that busts in on them is uh is a sheriff at least the host that that takes down the SWAT team on them so it makes sense that he's good, but I think it's kind, I think it's probably a combination of a lot of things. I think Ford pulled out as many stops as possible. That's true. Like isolating the control room, communications yeah. are down. They can't talk to each other and coordinate. Like very true. I, I I think there's excuses there. It's just kind of like a. It's explained away by like logic rather than shown to us in any real meaningful manner.
1: Yeah, it's not taking me out of it at all. No. Plus, I, I mean, think-
0: the hosts are throwing bears at people, so
1: <laughs> I would think the bears would just go after any. You know, I don't know if you can really aim a bear too well, but true. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe, I just thought
0: it- maybe Ford updated the bears with the Reveries update, and they can also ooh bear Reveries kind of like touch their lip and remember their
1: the bear necessities. Yes. Yeah. Well and this is my fault for bringing this with me to the show, but I really thought at the end of season one, we'd be seeing a little bit more of host versus guest slash like command, uh, battle. Yeah. And right now it, it all is very one-sided. So well, it's, it's not quite the, the struggle that I was looking to experience. However, we still have plenty of time left and the current, for lack of better word, timeline of Bernard with, uh stubs and then yeah may you know that may very quickly become the main thread of the season yeah i doubt it but no,
0: the thing that we that we were saying last season was we expected a team to be coming in to break out the the control room that was locked down so to mm-hmm. find them all dead yeah
1: absolutely oh yeah it was that and, was and and a bear
0: that was shocking yeah, and a bear that was shocking to me and not to mention the the scenes of bernard being one of the ones killing them mm. at least we think or potentially in that time slippage that we see so who knows more on that later
1: Um uh, i guess is the mave is the mave sizemore story happening concurrently with bernard in the past is that part of the two weeks ago
0: yeah i think it's got to be I right, so the control gone. room
1: went down really quickly.
0: Yeah, and, and I don't think size more would have lasted that long.
1: <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's very true.
0: Yeah. So um all right, moving on. Hale takes Bernard to a secret bunker where guests' DNA and experiences are being logged. Uh yeah, we get some interesting stuff here. We get some we get we get introduced to the drone host, which is awesome. Oh, they're so so creepy. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Bernard has DNA, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting to see that hosts at least have something that can be... Or at least Bernard is the one that has some DNA, but I would assume that all of them do. I guess we don't know. And the idea of... I think we talked in the first season how in the ARG people... We're looking through the user license agreement for Delos destinations, and there Mm -hmm. were notes about any cells, blood, fluids, anything you leave on Delos property becomes Delos property and can be used Mm -hmm. in any way, shape, or form. So we got a little bit of that uh, if you were paying attention to that kind of stuff, but the, the idea that they're getting all of these affluent people coming here, leaving their DNA, and also leaving compromising tapes of them either raping or having sex with people that aren't their, their significant others or killing people indiscriminately and acting crazy is this weird... Where do these implications take us with what Delos is trying to do as a company?
1: Right. It In turns into this like giant blackmail park
0: yeah that's pretty insane and like a level of the show that i wasn't thinking about
1: at all last yeah no same here
0: yeah anything else about that room there's a little bit more later on i mean obviously they realize that delos is willing to let everyone die until they retrieve all of the data that's in peter abernathy
1: i love that it's in him too it's great so good can't wait to see more
0: they made the right choice for sure
1: oh yes um i think the layout of that of that uh outpost is really cool like i I really loved the floor with like the sort of um just
0: raised pathway kind of like
1: yeah and i'm having a really hard time describing the shape of it but it's just really interesting how it's very like just a clean cut pathway that those drones are just repeating that they're I love when he's even like, what does it want? And she's like, I think you're just in its way. It wants you to move. And then he just steps aside and it just perceives as what it was doing. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. No, it's cool and an interesting thing that...
1: So Hale is one of, I'm going to assume, the few that knows about the existence of that outpost as well as what its true purpose is. Because yeah, Because she's, she's got like an apartment down there, basically. Like, it seems like she was... Staying there she had from time to time, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if she is the only one who knows about that. Like, if it's not necessarily even a Delos thing, as well, like.
0: If I recall some- correctly, there are some suggestions that Teresa Cullen was aware of its existence at least in Okay. season one, because she and Hale talk about the. Uh science project or i forget how she phrases it it's in that scene where she's naked comes to the door after banging hector and okay has a meeting with colin but other than that yeah i don't i don't we don't know who else actually knows other than like the larger hole of delos or some some right someone on the board of directors someone else on the board of directors i think pretty crazy yeah uh, the next scene, we get young Ford giving William an objective. You found your way in. Now find the door to get out. Uh, yeah. I was very surprised to see young Ford show up and start delivering instructions Instructions to William. It was very, mm-hmm. very, like, I was like, oh, man, it's like, I was like, is Ford Still alive, or did he just program all of this ahead of time? And I think either one could be true at this point, theoretically. But I like the fact that he was like, "Well, I'm gonna make sure and put a few contingency plans in here in case things don't go exactly as I thought they would."
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he's pretty dead. He'll find his body later.
0: That's true. That's very true. I yeah. wish he was
1: still alive. Yeah, I, I really, I really enjoy how William is kind of the ultimate like. This is a video game character. Yeah. Like he's the one who's really playing through the game, and uh, and this this guy shows up to give him more quests, the quest he's been he's been waiting for.
0: Yeah, I believe uh, John described it in in our in our Midwest Podcast Network Discord, which you can join if you go on the Patreon and give us five dollars a month. But anyway, John described it as the new game plus.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. No. Totally.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Like the rearrangement of the game. Items are in different places, different objectives. Pretty awesome. That's
1: a great way to put it.
0: Um, Which is
1: hilarious. It's it's yet another thing that makes William so compelling. Is he's he's really like the video game cipher. Absolutely. Hilarious. Yeah.
0: Did uh, what did you think? I I saw some people on Reddit calling it the Bane effect. The idea that you couldn't quite fully understand uh, Ford? young Ford's voice because I didn't really have
1: a problem. There were I mean there were a couple lines I guess, but based on the context of his other sentences it kind of seemed to make sense i like that it turned into anthony hopkins voice for like a second yeah that was pretty cool
0: that was cool like maybe they were they used some recycled lines or something like that stuff that
1: yeah it was really neat yeah absolutely and then he just wastes him
0: yep he does (laughs) and i felt so sad about it yeah me too i was like man that was he doesn't does he know what he just did I mean he does, but does it he is know? sad
1: because young I mean young Ford is kind of the perfect example of like when you're destroying one of these hosts, you're destroying like a stained glass window, basically like it's like this unique work of art that was put together by somebody, and when you smash it out of existence, you know especially now with no chance to be rebuilt or recovered it's it's really like taking a life
0: well and he's he William is the one. That originally brings up the point that they used to be made out of a million little pieces, and Mm -hmm. the fact that he would just waste one like that—I felt like maybe he didn't know. I don't know, but um, I just thought it was very sad. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure, because
1: it was—it was our last connection to Ford, too, basically. Yeah, Yeah. which is just sad. And when you find out about Ford's childhood and all that, it just—I don't know—bums you out.
0: What if the final boss is Ford's father? (laughs) Oh my god. Beautiful. Uh all it's right. all the members of
1: the Ford family <laughs> you have to fight. Yeah, they're they're the they're It's the like talks. Detroit. <laughs> if you come here you have to fight Martha Ford. Yep. She's the final boss.
0: Uh all right, next scene, Mave patches up Hector and brings Sizemore down a peg by making him undress in front of her. Um, I'm not gonna say I'm happy with the amount of penis I'm seeing in the show, but it's kind of great <laughs> that they're like HBO's atoning for Game of Thrones a little bit. Not that like I guess the first season of Westworld there were a lot of boobs, but yeah, it's it's cool to see the the teeter totter evening out because <laughs> it should good, good word choice equal <laughs> equal opportunity nudity. On, on yeah, HBO. I think.
1: Uh, the hbo's new like byline was dicks we got them too
0: <laughs> yes yes for sure uh i don't know that there's a whole lot else other than it was entertaining once again to see maven and-, and sizemore interact Hmm. Um. They're
1: quite the odd couple
0: yes for sure so heading towards the end here we do finally reach that discussion between dolores and teddy about teddy's conflicted feelings on the uprising Basically, as you said, it's Dolores using her charm to kind of lull Teddy back in,
1: Mm -hmm. Um, to at least buy him as a as a loyal follower. Yes, yes. To continue to be be handy in a scrape,
0: conscript him into service. Essentially, not that she Mm -hmm. really needs him; like she's mowing him down pretty easily herself. But you know, I'm sure
1: Teddy's capable of a lot of action.
0: Very true. Very true. He's a fast, fast draw for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did. I did like the quote that that she has here. If there's a whole world out there that we don't
1: know anything about, how do you know how to stop them? Because I remember.
0: I see it all now, so clearly. The past. The present.
1: The future. I know how the story ends. How? With our study.
0: It ends with you and me. That line struck me because of the fact that we have Arnold's recalling being waking up on a shore Uh in that first ultra-widescreen scene. It's like, well, Arnold shouldn't be a host, but he somehow has this dream of the future. Dolores talks about seeing the future as well. Like, what if the... Computational minds in these hosts is able to like logically execute a plan and understand all of the moving pieces to get it to happen that way. I don't know, like it's it's this. It's mm, interesting. Yeah, I, I I don't know that I need to delve into that one line too much, but coupling it with that, Arnold.
1: No, that's a good observation. It's like playing chess against an advanced computer that can, for sure, learn your patterns and. Determine how you will react to its moves.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, interesting little thing there. We'll see what comes of that. Uh, anything else you wanted to say about that? We have Angela ride up once again and uh, and tell them that they. she says we found it. And Dolores wants Teddy to see something in particular. Any guesses? Mm. Like, I was thinking...
1: Oh, man, I don't have a one.
0: I don't think... It's like, Teddy has become awakened and has started remembering things, but does he know that they're hosts and, and like, the this, the way this conversation plays out, it almost makes me feel as though he's not aware of the fact that there are hosts and humans as of yet.
1: Right, yeah, that's true. I really thought about that. So,
0: but I, I don't know why Angelo would be the one looking for it and what they would actually find in order to get back into, like, the body shop and the control room and stuff like that so i guess we'll see it has got to become a next episode i would assume so
1: yeah i'm very intrigued by this
0: yeah uh all right and then in terms of the last scene that we get here before heading back into the future timeline or the current day or whatever it is bernard taps into the host mesh network to find abernathy and also diagnose himself So we learn that the hosts have a mesh network where they can communicate with each other, much like ants, uh, kind of like a wireless communication between hosts that are in a region. Not only does Bernard use it to query all of them and find Abernathy, but he uses it to look at his own health and realize that he's got like a critical corruption going on. Uh, The system says that he's entering his death subroutine and lists problems with cognitive dissonance, loss of motor functions, time slippage, aphasia, prosopagnosia, and says he has point seven two hours to live. Prosopagnosia is like face blindness, or like mm. you cannot recognize faces.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Which uh,
0: uh, you said earlier that our, uh, Bernard is a is an unreliable narrator. I was like, does this make him even more of an unreliable narrator? Yeah. But does he
1: know who he's with? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: Um, so and yeah, he extracts some of that brain fluid to put into his own brain, obviously, and I assume that extends his 0.72 hours. I hope it does anyway, but I guess we'll see about th- It yeah, seems to clear to. up. It has to because we get him again 2 weeks later, right?
1: And it seems to clear up his symptoms like almost right away. He seems yeah. to start being better. But is I oh, guess he has to- I love that he has to do it all secretly. Yeah. He can't reveal that he's a host. Yep, it was.
0: I was. I was on the edge of my. I was actually on the edge of my seat. I was. Oh like, yeah. Oh
1: man. Like it was really
0: tense. Any minute now, she's gonna figure it out. Uh, I
1: wonder if those drones actually have faces. If he has face blindness. If they actually are they modeled after like somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: That's be. That'd be pretty good. I hope they're all Lewis Hurtham. <laughs> just all Peter Ebernan. Ebena- that'd be out. so
1: good. Just a room full of them. <laughs> that'd be awesome. Still uh, waiting for the return of old Bill, but I'll yeah, have to keep waiting. Yeah, I think. yeah,
0: maybe they're all old Bill, really. That would be
1: good. It's beautiful. Just an <laughs> army of just buff old Bills.
0: <laughs> buff Michael Wincott. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. Now the uh, the only other thing I was going to say, uh, I wonder if he's going to continue leaking, and and we'll have to. Like, oh yeah, be I fresh. think so. Yeah. I
1: think this is his uh, his his little subplot for now.
0: Yeah. The drama that he gets.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they do end up finding Abernathy's location through the mesh network, and uh, but we start Ugh. slipping through time again.
1: Yeah. What... I love the I love the idea of the mesh network. That's so cool. I think that's such a brilliant design.
0: I. Uh, I wanted to call it uh, Chekhov's mesh network cuz I think that's going to be more important later on. I'm I'm kind of wondering as we find out in a couple scenes here, Bernard kills all the hosts. I was wondering if he uses that as a way to to disperse some type of virus or something like that.
1: Yeah, it almost acts like Cerebro. Yeah. where like you can Cerebro. You can find all of the other you can find anybody just by like just pinging through through the network looking yep. for a certain IP address basically. For sure. It's pretty awesome. Very
0: cool. And, and and that's a real thing too, like the idea of making uh internet networks by mesh networking. Yeah, is something that's very real, so.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic.
0: All right, Uh, we slip through time again. We see Bernard with the extraction crew coming up through the streets of Escalante, walking past the church and finding the body-lined streets. Uh, We do see the humans decomposing with a bluish or dark color, flies buzzing about. Bernard sees Ford's body draped over the edge of the stage, and Carl flips it so we see the maggots eating Ford's eye socket. This does line up. I did look it up. I did look up information and, and documentation uh two weeks worth of decomposition should look the way that these bodies look. Of course. So they they did their they did their homework, of course. Um but the crew seem to be taking Bernard to these locations to try and jog his memory to figure <laughs> out what happened at the party. Mm-hmm. Bernard doesn't really remember much of anything. Uh anything about walking through Escalante there that you thought? <laughs>
1: Nothing in particular. Yeah, I think it's cool that we keep coming back here. This like little town.
0: Bernard seeing Ford was was uh, a nice little moment. His like, I think he knows who Ford is at least. <laughs> That's yeah, 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 yeah. Um, all right. One of my favorite parts of this premiere. Uh, apparently, they did some type of live scan to find anomalies in the park. They pull up to one of them, and there is a Bengal tiger yep. that is decomposing, which came awesome. from park six, apparently. There are six parks, one of which is Sushi World, as we called it. Well, you there's know, at that least that six. There
1: it. might be more than six. Yeah, there
0: could be more than six. We've got Westworld, Sushi World, and then it's Samurai World, or whatever they actually fell in. But then there's number six, which is going to be like Jungle Jurassic, Book World or something. Jurassic
1: Park. <laughs> yeah
0: so jungle book world <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't think of anything better to call it so yeah i think
1: uh and, I, and it, it's awesome that like Stubbs is like oh we have those in six but not here and it's like well oh, shit Stubbs, where you been hanging on to all this info
0: <laughs> yeah yeah why, why didn't you say something about that 10 hours ago and in so they're 10? all
1: a lot of these top brass like him are overseeing all of these parks to some degree or at least they are interfacing with them in some way yes
0: they're they're aware of what's going on. That was something that struck me. The fact that Maeve kind of walks through the testing area of Samurai World made me think, like, how close are these parks anyway? But
1: yeah, and is this revolution only happening at Westworld?
0: Yeah, yeah. That that was one thing that I was thinking is like, essentially, is Dolores going to go around finding the brightest minds or whatever in? Oh, man. In all That'd of the be worlds. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm excited to see where that goes. All right. And then uh, finally, the satellites start geopositioning once again. And uh, we learn that all of the hosts have gathered at some point in the park. And it turns out they're all in this valley, essentially, that has been filled with water. Mm -hmm. some type of ocean that nobody was aware of Stubbs comments there's no way ford made this without anyone knowing where the hell did it come from bernard says he doesn't know but uh carl asks for more help from bernard saying you got to remember something and bernard says that he killed them all of them uh and we we see some close-ups of a dead host i thought it maybe looked like teddy but i can't tell for sure
1: I thought it was a woman. I couldn't place who it okay. was.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know who it was. So it I don't know if we were meant to to know or not. So Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that there's a whole lot more to say about that other than I'm interested to see where it goes, but kind of Did you have any theories about it?
1: I really don't. I haven't begun to really string together what it might mean. I feel like this season on the whole from from the start the season two premiere hasn't grabbed me quite the same way the season one did yeah but i think that's because we're we're a lot more clued into what's going on now there's not there's still a lot of mystery but there's not as much you know we have like the core grasp of what's going on here yeah so i think that that's in a way is making the experience both better and a little bit worse just because I don't have those it's not, big it's, giant questions of like, what is this?
0: It's more of a known quantity at this point now. Yeah,
1: so. but I think that I'm really enjoying being a little bit more in the know and uh, being... And, and also that the... There's sort of a level playing field now because most of the characters in the show don't know what the hell is going on. No one's in control. Yeah. Like uh, Sizemore said, so I'm kind of in the same position as everyone on the show. Yeah. Which is kind of refreshing in a way.
0: I'm also wondering how much of it is us being hip to the language of this show.
1: Yeah. We are certainly
0: more acutely aware of the storytelling that's going on and therefore like i'm able to sit here and suss out potential potential future plot lines essentially by just knowing what's happened before very true so um i guess the only other things that i had to say that's it for the recap at this point um i had a few things that i noticed in the future timeline, we do have an extraction team there, so I think we have to take it as granted that Hale and or Bernard get Abernathy out of there at some point.
1: Mm, That's true.
0: I think that's gotta happen. Um, My theory of Bernard killing all the hosts was to maybe distract this strike squad or like extraction squad and get them off of the case of wherever Dolores and maybe Teddy could be.
1: That's true.
0: And then the it only- does.
1: It does seem. It doesn't even seem like it's all the hosts, though. Yeah, like it, it can't. It can't possibly be every host.
0: There was the other question of like, okay, how many hosts were in the park, and how many are there dead? We don't. Yes, it's hard for us to even know. I think we're made right? to think like, oh, everyone's dead, but that could easily not be true. Um, the only other thing that I thought of as I was waking up this morning, I was like. This is the stretch. This is the real moonshot. This is the—I don't know—but I'm gonna—I'm gonna deal with it here a little bit, or put it—put it out there just in case. What if this entire season is like a Metal Gear Solid Two simulation for like the squashing of a host uprising? Like the 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 training, the the drill for everyone to figure out how to stop the hosts from actually. Gaining consciousness and then taking over the world. Wow! Just putting it just, out there, it's probably wrong. It's probably wrong, and but I I think it would be interesting. It's it's been
1: well. It, it, so it would, if that theory were true. At what point would that have started? At what point did the simulation begin? In season one?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would think so. I it it, it could be. <sighs> Like it could have been Ford putting on a show, you know, like it could have been Ford just kind of being like, all right, this is what would happen for consciousness. This is how we actually need consciousness to take root in these these hosts. And we need to figure out how to guard against this. This is how it's all going down. It's probably not true. But I just—it was an interesting thought that struck me. Yeah, of like that's a fun idea. Yeah, how they could pull the wool out over from everybody, everybody's eyes. But I'm sure they'll figure out an even better way to do it. So
1: that would be pretty good.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, I feel a little naive by being like, "Oh yeah, this season's a lot more straightforward." Because I know that some shit's going to go down, and there's going to start being some twists and some turns. And I feel like I'm being lulled into a false sense of security.
0: Well, but and I did listen to our. 10th episode recap today which was good it was interesting but i think you kind of came out of it thinking like everything was there it was all before our eyes yeah and i don't think they're going to stray away from that like Hmm. i think they're going to remain keen on on not cheating us and not lying to us as viewers. That's true. And so I'm but I am utterly fascinated with finding out what they do to kind of if they are able to prevent the reddit machine from figuring it all out in the first episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah. You may have just done it. I, Who knows? I don't think so,
0: but we'll see. <laughs> I can't thoughts? wait.
1: No, I'm just excited. I'm, I'm just happy to be uh, back along for the ride.
0: Me too. Me too. All right. Once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on Westworld.fm. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. We're also Westworld.fm on Twitter, and you can email us at westworldfm at gmail.com. Tell us what you think of our show, share your thoughts on HBO's Westworld, and we might just read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Westworld or our podcast. The Midwest Podcast Network has several other shows about video games, horror movies, and more. Check out all of our shows at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song Industrial Cinematic by Kevin McLeod, and it is being used under an Attribution Creative Commons license. And please make sure that you go check out patreon.com slash PodNet. That's patreon.com slash m-i-d-w-e-s-t-p-o-d-n-e-t. Pledge as little as a dollar and help us make our network even better. That's it for this episode of Westworld FM. We're excited for the next episode of Westworld, and we'll have another recap out after that. But until then... May you rest and have a deep and dreamless slumber.